This is the Go Maluku Podcast. Episode 3 of the COVID-19 Quarantine Q&A. And today we're going to talk about why it means people choose to go to New York over going to Geneva. Uh, a little bit about guilt. Um, Post-COVID-19 crisis. And yeah, a little bit about these organizations. So, let's go. Can you explain why many indigenous peoples go to the UN in New York and not to Geneva? I try to explain to them that the UN is bigger than just in New York or yeah, than just the perform in New York. That there's so many more things that you can do. The misconception that a lot of people have is that the because the perform is in New York, so that is the most important meeting that we should all go to. Which is not true. Um, it is very important to know, like I said before, the mandate what a proven forum can do or expert mechanism can do. And I think um, we should not be married to, I go to the to New York, uh, I go to the proven forum because it's in New York. You know, it's not true. Like you should definitely look into um, what do I want to get out of a trip to the UN? Um, do you want to do something about climate change? Do, you want to, do I want to do something about biodiversity? If you want to go to those things, then the print form is a good like first entry point. But if you really want to make any progress, if you really want to um, participate in decision making, then yeah, I would recommend you to go to CBD meetings or UNFCCC meetings. You know, it's it's not the UN is not just um, New York and the headquarters in New York. Yes. The PGA is over there. Yes, the Secretary General is there, there over as well. But, you know, like, what are the chances for you to meet those persons? You know, they're very slim. Um, well, you got to yeah, keep in mind that it is an investment, your, your trip to the UN, that you want to get, get something out of it. So please be very aware of the entire UN system, what it can do, what it cannot do. And where you can, yeah, invest your trip in, your time into. For me, for example, like I, like the way I see the the print forum is a very good entry point for these people to get to know the UN and how how it works. Um, so that's why I encourage these people to go to New York, to New York for the print forum. But it is also very important to know like what you can do in Geneva, what you can do with the Human Rights Council, expert mechanism, treaty bodies. If you want to go specific, uh, if you want to, want to um, focus on climate change, you want to focus on oceans, you want to focus on biodiversity. Like the UN is a very big monster. You know, there's a lot of as aspects that you can, uh, or processes that you can engage into. And perform is just one, uh, one um, element of it. So I highly recommend you to look beyond um, the, the whole romantic idea of I'm going to the UN, so I have to go to New York. No, that's not the case. You know, it's it's much bigger than that. And so, yeah, that's at least my thoughts about that. I feel guilty when I'm away. I'm scared that people think it's all play and no results. Any advice? 
Oh, here's the thing with me then, because I had the same problem. Um, I went away, colleagues, friends, you know, and at my part-time job, um, they were like, well, hey, um, you travel all around, all around the world. I have an idea of what you do, but um, that's pretty much it. And I see you post photo of pictures on, on Instagram or Facebook about food and you taking a run in Central Park or stuff like that. And that's when I realized actually that I should be doing it the other way around. You know, it's I should be posting stuff about my work, uh, about what I do, about what my thoughts are, what, and uh, some failures, some mistakes, aha moments. And I think that's how I led to what led me to developing a podcast and, and documenting the work and doing Q&As like these so that people know um, what you do. And it's very important that they know that it's not all play, that you do it, you travel a lot, you work a lot. And that is, well, the only, at least for me, the only time that I have time to play is in the evenings when between uh, f dinner and, and uh, going to bed, you know, and it's, it's, and the rest of the time I just, just do the work. Um, so what I would do is, yeah, communicate. And I think it's best to over communicate, um, just to tell people like what you're doing and why you're doing it. And if people, understand they understand if they don't understand then then fine you know like it's um but don't be afraid of them judging you um because people always judge um and i'm talking about like negative people um that will they will always find a way to like say something nasty about you um but focus on doing the work focus on what you love about the job focus on the, the people you get to meet, the things you get to do, and try to document it. At least that's what that, that worked for me. And if it works for me, hopefully it works for you. It doesn't have to work for you. Um, but I think that is at least one way to take away that guilt and the, the fear that other people might think that you're just doing it for, it's all jaunt, all, all play, no results. You know? And that's, and yeah, just, Look at look at what I try to what I try to share or post. You know, it's it's all thoughts and work and yeah. From time to time, I post something about play and and but which is fun. and food. Like I love to take pictures of food, but who doesn't nowadays? Um, so yeah, if you feel guilty, don't be afraid. Um, just communicate. I hope that made sense at all. What are your thoughts about indigenous organizations led by non-indigenous individuals? All right, I think I think that's a very tricky question in terms of like there's multiple ways to interpret that question. Um, I think what you're trying to get to is let's unpack that a little bit. You have indigenous people's uh, sorry indigenous people's organizations. You have NGOs, non-governmental organizations. And you have NGOs that are focused on Indian peoples, for example. So they have those three categories. Um, only one of them, um, in, in, in my view, uh, are allowed 
to sp speak on behalf of their Indian peoples or um, make decisions on behalf of Indian peoples. And that's a, the first one, the Indian peoples organizations or Indian peoples in general. Um, when it comes to NGOs and NGOs that support Indian peoples, I think they're very welcome to help Indian peoples out in the movements, in the work, in the projects and everything else. Um, fine, that, that, that's amazing. And there's a lot of organizations out there that already do that. Um, DOSIP is a very is a good example. Um, IFGIA is a very good example. And there are multiple, a whole host of examples out there that that uh, are doing great, great work. And they also learn that um, it is good to, as a supportive role, as an ally role, but when it comes to actual decisions that need to be made and actual representing Indian peoples, only Indian peoples need to be need to be doing that. Like you cannot, as an NGO, represent Indian peoples because you have a project running in Brazil or in the Amazon or whatever. You know, like no, it's about up to the Indian peoples themselves. You know, and then I'm talking about the representative institutions, the traditional elders, leaders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera to um, represent these peoples in, in, in processes that affect them. Um, so, and I've seen, I've, I work with a lot of non-Indigenous people, uh, persons um, that are very supportive and they're great and they're amazing and they, yeah, like, they know actually when, when it's, it's, it's time to they know their role as a supportive role and not as a representative role. Um, so those are my thoughts when it comes to, yeah, um, the balance or the the uh, yeah the linkage between um, non-Indian organizations that support Indian peoples or NGOs and Indian peoples organizations and or Indian peoples. Um, so. Yeah, that's a little bit my thought. If you really take the question literally, Indigenous organizations led by non-Indigenous non individuals, I think that is a very yeah tricky thing to do. You know, like, like how can you, as a non-Indigenous person, represent a peoples? Or, um, as I'm talking about peoples and not organizations, but like I'm trying to figure out a Indigenous organization that is not an Indigenous peoples organization. Um. Yeah, no, no. It, it's I'll stick with um the 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 linkage between Indian people organizations and Indian uh, NGOs and organizations that support Indian peoples. What are you worried about in terms of the post-COVID nineteen crisis? Yeah, I, I've been asking this question to a lot of people's relatives and uh, colleagues. And basically what I thought is what they think as well is that history is about to be written, rewritten in front of our eyes. Coronavirus! Uh, for our very eyes. And let me explain a little bit why we see a, a watered-down version develop, uh, emerging in all the countries around the world in regards to uh, rule of law. Um, there's no little to no certainty anymore when it comes to human rights or the rights of these peoples. Laws are being passed um, in, in, in countries um, that are at odds with environmental, uh, with, the, with the environment. Uh, um, legislation that was supposed to uh, fight climate change are being 
scale down. Uh, what else? We see a full stop on Indian peoples and state relationships, almost to to the point that a war on tribes and our peoples are are emerging, are being uh, is like the, in, the inevitable uh, thing that will come out of this. Uh, elders that, that are uh, very vulnerable, um, the health responses you know, in Indian communities is very low as in like it's it's murky at best um uh what else uh yeah i, I was talking about elders remote communities um these people that remote that live in remote areas um how are they able to yeah survive covid19 also, there's a lot of non-Indian peoples that go to the communities or remote areas where Indian peoples live, for example, in Alaska, and trying to escape COVID-19, and um, they might be might be bringing um, uh, the virus with them. You know, they might contaminate everyone, um, or that these people that escape the whole, uh, they want to escape uh, the virus that they go to a remote area and go to the nearest grocery store and take everything uh, so that they can uh, go into like actual lockdown and quarantine, leaving nothing behind for the people that live in that area. Um, you know, and things like that are going through my mind, not to mention the post-crisis uh, things that are happening. This is just the on what's happening right now. You see disaster capitalism emerge or develop and post-crisis. Um, look at um, the agenda in the agenda of Indian peoples you know at the international level like all the meetings have been postponed either either it will create a bottleneck in the tail end of 2020 or 2021 will be cramped with a lot of meetings causing a lot of overlap and these peoples are already spread thin so how are we going to be able to participate in all those meetings um, while not allowing things to fall slip through the cracks um so those, those are just like a uh, like briefly things that go that are on my mind luckily i can talk to a lot of uh, friends relations colleagues about this and try to strategize something so that once this whole quarantine lockdown is lifted and that we can travel again and and that we as a movement can come out stronger that um that we're not um yeah lockdown doesn't mean that you can sit still and just um hang back and wait for everything to pass by you know you get you as as a movement like you have to prepare for whatever comes out of it whenever we're beyond yeah whenever this whole um pandemic is beyond us um making sure that we come out of it stronger and then we went into this and not weaker than we went into this whole lockdown thing. Um, so yeah, so those are things, basically my quick thoughts on what I'm thinking about, not necessarily worried about, but like what I'm thinking about, what's on my mind uh, in this COVID-19, during this COVID-19 crisis. And also like how can we as an East peoples all around the world during the crisis help each other? Um, in terms of, yeah, whatever other Indian peoples uh, might 
uh, require. Uh, so stuff like that. I know that I cannot do everything that I want to, but at least I can do what I can. Um, what I'm good, well, not that good at, but like what I, what I can do. Um, so I'm, those, those are things that are on my mind and that I, that I talk a lot about. And yeah, and hope hopefully we're seeing all around the world like biodiversity, like like um, regenerating itself, and like um, animals that have been deemed extinct and are returning, and all that. So how can we use this in our narrative, in our conversations, um, post COVID nineteen, and stop and. Yeah, ensure that whatever we gained in terms of um, biodiversity and carbon emissions and 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 the the drop in carbon emissions, how we how can we um, make sure that that will not be reversed? You know, like that we can keep this up. So th- those yeah, those are <laughs> a lot of things on my mind actually. So yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking about when it comes to COVID nineteen. Anyway, um, so yeah, four things that I talked about in this in this episode. Um, if you have any questions or thoughts, um, um, do you agree with me? Do you have any other thoughts? Are you going to take me to town? As in, like, you think I'm full of it? Um, please, 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 yeah, um, comment or drop send me a message. I love feedback. I appreciate it. I value it. And hopefully I'll get this... Um, yeah, see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening. I hope I was of value to you. Please subscribe. It would mean the world to me if you dropped a comment on my social media. But most of all, and before we run out of music, have a great day. Yeah, that sounded weird.